is the gospel important? Is it important to know it well enough and well enough to communicate it? Is it important to know the gospel to be believed today? What is the gospel? How is one justified today? These questions unanswered and other questions unanswered cripple the spiritual validity of the church today. If we as the church don't know these questions, how can we truly know with any sense of measure and any sense of validity know whether the church is being added to today? Welcome to the Weekly Wholesome Words Podcast where we examine the sound doctrine in God's Word for the specific purpose to know Christ, gain the renewing of our mind, and to prove His will in our lives that all things would work together for His purpose. I'm Josh Strzelecki, pastor and teacher of Twin Cities Grace Fellowship. Join me in this episode as we look at the light of the glorious gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I know the situation all too well whether it was in college or at Christian events that I've attended over the years. There, under the umbrella of Christianity, went to a a Christian private school, went to many Christian events. And the time would come, whether it was at in a class at the university or whether it was at chapel that we attended each day, whether it was at a music festival or um, some kind of uh, uh, benefit or organization. And the time would come at one of those events, one of those times, and it was time for the gospel presentation. And more times than not, uh, my heart has sunk leading to an array of uh, frustration and sadness. I think what is more frustrating and more sad is that this isn't done by uh, immature people. This isn't done by teenagers. It's, it, it's done by adults. They're put on by adults, those that are Christians, those that have believed the good news, yet somewhere down the line, whether they actually have believed the good news or not, or somewhere down the line, once they have believed the good news, they've lost it. This ought not to be so. But what does this show? Does this really show that the gospel is important. I remember listening to a, a panel at a, a conference at one point, uh, not one that I attended, but I, I watched online. <clears throat> and the crux of the, the panel discussion was what is, what is mere Christianity? Taking that title from C.S. Lewis, what is mere Christianity? What is the line of demarcation of a Christian. And once again, it was completely obliterated. So what is the line of demarcation? 
What is the line that needs to be crossed to translate from darkness to light, from death to life, from unbelief, uh, 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 one that is not justified to one being justified, one that's not saved, one is saved, one that doesn't have the forgiveness of sins to one that has the forgiveness of sins. And is that important? Is it important to know that line of demarcation? Of course it is. It is critically important. It is so important that it establishes the identification of the church itself. Not only individually does it identify whether one is justified or not, it identifies the validity of those who comprise the church, the body of Christ. It is the mere measurement of whether one is a Christian or not. Do they believe the gospel? And oftentimes, one may believe the gospel and yet not know it. So what is one of the the instrumental factors in uh, edification after one has believed the gospel is that they would come to know the gospel. This is the biblical pattern. This is the Pauline pattern that those that believed in Rome, he wrote a letter to and the opening chapters set forth the details and the knowledge of the gospel. It was not only for those at Rome to know what they have believed and know the details of it, but also that they would then be able to communicate it, to share it, and have confidence in doing so. So the gospel is important. It is vitally important. So important that at these events, before hundreds of people and on campuses, when when thousands are listening, maybe they are believers, maybe they're not. Maybe at these evangelistic uh, events that are so uh, uh, big that draw in the masses, undoubtedly many unbelievers. If that gospel is not taught, the right gospel, if it is not taught, and yet one believes the so-called gospel presentation. There's no salvation in that. There is no justification. And listen, there is no justification in the simple fact that there is a God. There is no salvation in the simple fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is no salvation and justification in the simple fact that Jesus was a good man or he was the Messiah. He was the son of God and he did good works and you should follow that pattern. There's no salvation. There's no justification in those facts. But that's not the only problem. And hopefully this isn't the issue of being a bearer of bad news, but a bearer of correction so that we see the glory of and, and, the, and be zealous to know the gospel, to know it well enough to be able to communicate it effectually so that one 
has a genuine opportunity that when their faith is placed in the content and spirit of the message, that that transition, that measurement line, that mere Christianity has been crossed. They have come from darkness to light, from death to life. So the gospel is very important. It is the line of demarcation when it comes to one's individual uh, justification of being righteous in God's sight. Their eternal life depends upon it. And it is the spiritual measurement and validity of those that comprise of the church of the body of Christ. Is it important to know it well enough so that we might be able to communicate it? Absolutely. As I just made mention of, there is no salvation in a gospel that doesn't provide the content that God wants one to believe in order for him to respond in justification. So we must know it, not only have believed it, but to know it so then when we share it, we're actually providing the gospel that when is believed, God justifies based upon their faith in the content of it. Is it important to know the gospel to be believed today? There is more than one gospel in the Bible. There is not more than one way to be saved. It is been, it is, and always will be by grace through faith. This is the clear testimony of Scripture can be confusing in regards to some passages, but only confusing when the, the, the context is dropped and therefore misunderstanding and a, 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 a misinterpretation of those packages, uh, of those, of those uh, passages and closely tied to and, and linked to the issue of justification by grace through faith. But the clear testimony is, that justification is by grace through faith. There's only one way in which one can respond to a gospel in order for God's response of them to be justification, and that is by faith, through faith. It is the issue of faith. However, there's more than one gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven is not the gospel in which you believe today. The gospel and the gospel accounts is not the gospel to be believed today. It had remnants and a witness of some of the content of the gospel in which we believe today. But it was not the manifestation and the conclusion and the declaration of the gospel of Christ in which we believe today. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven is not the good news of how you get to heaven. If anything, the gospel of the kingdom was the good news of how you get into Israel's kingdom on this earth that will eventually be on this earth. So it's important to know the gospel that we are to believe today. So what is the gospel and how is one justified? When we open up the scriptures, we learn of numerous occasions in which Paul, our apostle, with his gospel, Paul's gospel, went out and 
preached the gospel. The, the method in which God utilizes so that one might believe and God respond to that faith in that message with justification the method is through the communication, through the preaching, through the teaching, through the declaration, by opening our mouth of the message of Christ. The gospel of Christ. And so, it is through preaching. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 1 and 2 as he deals with this, he He says in verse 17 of chapter 1, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. We are to preach the gospel. He says, Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. We don't want to confuse or compromise the message. We want a clear gospel, unadulterated gospel, not mixed, not compromised with the wisdom of this world. He says, For the preaching of the cross, that's what the gospel is. Uh, entails today. It is the issue of the cross. What took place at the cross and what was provided more importantly by the cross. He says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved is the power of God. He jumps jumped down to verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. There's a foolishness in preaching. There's a foolishness in sharing this message. Foolishness in sight of the world. But it is, nevertheless, power. He speaks of that power in his second letter to the Corinthians, at least that we have in the scriptures, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he's talking about if our gospel be hid... And he talks about the blinding of the minds of them which believe not. In verse 4, he says, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And he equates the power of the message we share to his power of commandment at creation when there was darkness and then there was light. He says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Of the face of Jesus Christ. Over in Acts chapter 26, he speaks about <clears throat> why Christ appeared to him and what he is to do. And he, he's going to send thee to the Gentiles. In verse 18 he says, To open their eyes. Uh, uh, there's a blindness. It says, And to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto the power of God. It says unto God, but it's unto the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And so, believing in God that he exists isn't enough. But yet we are to believe in God. But believe in God in, in, in regards to what message? It's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. It is the gospel of Christ. Now, what is the gospel of Christ? Well, let me break it down in, in, into, into two components. 
you have the, the gospel of Christ as witnessed under the Old Testament and even further back of the Old Testament, before the Old Testament ever came into view, the law of Moses, there were some components of the gospel of Christ that were being witnessed to. And some of those components of the gospel of Christ that were being witnessed to, of course it wasn't identified as the gospel of Christ at that time. Um, The manifestation of Christ had not taken place. His redemptive work had not been provided for. Nevertheless, from God's progressive revelation, the witnessing of his righteousness and the necessary uh, use of his righteousness for man because his wrath is against their unrighteousness began to take place under the Old Testament and even prior to the Old Testament. For instance, when God brings a flood upon the earth, that is a, a witness to his holiness and man's wickedness, man's iniquity, worthy of his wrath, yet an individual being saved out of that wrath. Now that is a, a physical example of a spiritual reality. And we must not confuse the two, but there is an uh, analogy there. The way in which you get saved from the wrath is you have faith in God. There's, there's a, a component of faith. You advance further along in regards to the law, and the law came along and with the curses pronounced wrath in one sense, punishment, chastisement against those that did not hearken to the voice of the Lord, those that committed iniquity, those that committed sin. And the testimony of Scripture provides that man is worthy of God's wrath, not just upon his earth, but eternal condemnation in view of his holiness. The New Testament provides for God's grace in Christ through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus as the provision from the debt and penalty of one's sin. That is, the debt and penalty of our sin, that we are worthy of paying the eternal price of eternal condemnation. That Christ, his redemption, paid that price. The writer of Hebrews says that he, through the eternal spirit, uh, provided the eternal redemption that we might re- obtain a internal, eternal inheritance. So redemption pays the ransom price. There's a price that we need to pay for our sin in view of God's holiness. And if that price isn't prayed for us now, then we pay the price by having His wrath against us and experiencing that eternal condemnation. But He provided redemption, the provision, the payment for the debt and penalty of our sin. He took that price He paid that price for us and was victorious to be able to offer that to us. It's not automatically applied just because now it's been provided for. But the content of the gospel of Christ is there's wrath against us. There's wrath against our unrighteousness. We are sinners by nature. We have a debt 
to, to be paid before the holy judge. And that price is eternal because he's eternal. And it is his son, the son of God, that came and paid that price. He was the only one that could. For he himself is eternal, but he became man and therefore qualified himself to deliver us out of the predicament, that eternal price in which we have by nature. And he has now the payment for the debt and penalty of our sins. And he offers it to us. It is the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. It is the grace that he extends to us in the redemption of his son. In the cross that he died on the cross to pay for. And he rose again to offer it to us. He was delivered for our offenses, raised again for our justification. So what then? What then is getting right in our communication of the gospel? How one actually receives that gospel. Or receives the benefits of of his redemption actually receives as it says here in Acts 26 verse 18 the forgiveness of sins how does his work Christ's redemptive work get imputed to me what's the how does that how does that transaction take place that god can come along and say justified those are the two major components in the gospel communication that we need to have right uh, uh, the clear understanding of what the gospel is it isn't the gospel of the kingdom of heaven of the good news of how Israel and Gentiles can benefit of God's kingdom that's going to be on this earth in the future and to and to rule and reign with him in that kingdom and those kind of things it's not even the issue of simply believing that Jesus was the Christ. John 3.16 The gospel of Christ is much more than that he is the Christ. But as the Christ, there was a work, a redemptive work that he provided that is the crux of the matter to be believed today. It is the content that is that measurement, that is that line of demarcation in which when one believes, receives the forgiveness of sins. And if the spirit of that content is not in your gospel presentation, there is no salvation. They might believe in God, they might believe in Jesus, but they haven't believed the very thing that God wants them to believe. Now it is true that there is a uh, parallel in regards to all of God's Gospels of the issue of God's provision based upon man's need. And when man trusts in God's provision without any of their works, then God responds in justification. But what is it that we need to believe? We believe the sum and substance of all the witnessing that came prior, of all the foreshadowing, of all the foreseeing, of all the types and all the figures, we are able now to come along and in 
clear and plainness of speech talk about their offense before the holy God, the just penalty of their sins of eternal condemnation, the utter hopelessness that they have in their flesh to ever be justified in God's sight and God's great love in Christ that paid the ransom price in his death. Put put that away, put sin away when he was buried, rose again the third day, victorious, giving complete, uh, having complete victory and complete assurance to the one who is being confronted now with this message that this is the provision and it is the means by which they can be resurrected, that they can have eternal life, is because he has it. He conquered death. And that when we believe in his provision, that he died, how that he died for our sins, he died to pay the debt and penalty of our sins. He paid the ransom. Was buried and rose again so that he could offer it to us. That gives surety of the payment that has been made. That it is satisfactory to the very justice of God that is against our sin. That it satisfies his justice toward us when we believe in that provision. When we believe in Christ's death for the forgiveness of our sins. We believe in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. It is that that we need to be clear and plain about. But listen, we need to not only get that plain and clear, but then there's the there's the ask. How does that provision get to them, get on them, or they get in Christ? What's the what's the thing God's looking for? in order to respond in giving them that. He's offering it to them. He's the one inviting. How do they receive it? And here's what you get a lot. Accept Jesus in your heart. I made him my Lord and Savior. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. Clean up your life. Right? Turn from your sin. Good luck. Because that's all you have running for you when it comes to cleaning up your life is sheer mystical luck that is of no avail. An unbeliever cannot clean up their life. They cannot turn from sin. That is a false gospel presentation and I'll hear you'll hear people they'll get it right up until the point of now how are you going to receive it and the way in which they communicate how to receive it goes in contrast to the very message they just preached in other words if it is all through the merit of Christ why are you calling them and explaining to them to receive this you got to do something that contradicts the very message that he paid it all It contradicts it. So now you don't have a false gospel in the sense of the provision, if you got that part right, but you have words of man's wisdom 
that are against what the scripture teaches receive Jesus in your heart and commit your life to Christ turn from sin all these things that are brought you know pray this prayer that contradict that make of no effect the gospel so what is how is it that one receives this gospel that is consistent with the gospel itself and doesn't make the gospel of none effect it's the only response man can ever give it is faith and faith alone what is faith faith is that positive response to the gospel and it is a non-meritorious response and it gives clear and plain speech to what is being done in view of that gospel of the gospel of Christ it is the response that is compatible with the gospel of Christ faith is the is the matter of understanding and acknowledging in a package the the issue of the content that there's nothing I can do he did it for me and I believe the only payment for the debt and penalty of my sin is what he did when one believes from the heart the form of doctrine of the gospel of Christ God responds then in his judicial proceedings of declaring you righteous in his sight because now your response not committing your life listen God does not want your life and as Christians we need to understand this so that we would understand it's a, it's an issue of sanctification <clears throat> and 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 we need to understand the role of sanctification when it comes to justification and sanctification he does not want our life I'm not talking about he doesn't want to use the life you have on this earth. I'm talking about he doesn't want your life. He doesn't want you to commit your life because he wants to transform you. That means what you are, he wants to change. He wants his son's life in you. He wants you to live by the faith of Jesus Christ. He wants Christ to live within you. And so why would we say commit your life? He doesn't want you to accept in your heart Jesus. What does that mean? He wants you to believe. He wants you to have that non-meritorious response because faith always lends the merit always yields the the merit to that in which that faith is in the the what i have my faith in the merit goes there so when god sees my faith in the only satisfactory payment for the debt and penalty of my sins that is worthy of eternal condemnation and he sees my faith in the only satisfactory payment of his son's death, burial, and resurrection. He responds in his judicial manner of declaring me righteous in God's sight. 
and the merit of Jesus Christ gets imputed to me. Well, taken enough time to discuss this, but as it's been on my mind and heart, and one thing I'll encourage you in the fall, we're going to be doing an Ambassador for Christ class and be dealing with these matters in preparation and in planning and to equip those that would care to be equipped to know the gospel that they have believed and to know it well enough in order to communicate it that when they communicate it, if it is believed, God can respond to those that are believing in judicial proceedings of justification. It is mere Christianity. It is the line of demarcation. And if we don't get it right, we blur the line, and then we blur one's eternal salvation. Well, I hope, although we've only looked at a couple verses here this week, and taken more time than I often do when it comes to these weekly wholesome words, that it has spurred you on, that it has increased a zeal in you to know the very gospel that I pray and hope you have believed. To know it, not only for your surety, not only that you would know the line of demarcation, so that you can know that you are one that is justified, but that you could provide that in your presentation of it towards others. And if they response, respond, is that of faith. And you can only know that by their acknowledgement of it and their words to you that, yes, I have believed that. But listen, if they come along and they later on say, yes, I'm a believer because I prayed a prayer. That's not what you do in order to receive the gospel. But if someone can come along and say, my faith is in what Christ did for me in his redemptive work at Calvary. That is the only satisfactory payment for the debt and penalty of my sins in view of God's holiness and justice. Being worthy of eternal condemnation provided the gift of eternal life through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection. I believe that and it is on his merit in which I stand just before God. Or something to that effect that has resonant within that the clear provision and the clear means of reception of that provision. And you can know. Although we cannot know the heart, we can know by their verbal acknowledgement at least. That you're dealing with one that is justified. What a gift. What a privilege. What an honor. So I pray.
prey it spurs you on and you become zealous to know it more to communicate it and then the other aspect of it is that we wouldn't be ashamed to communicate it and that we would take advantage of opportunities and that we would seek out opportunities that which we can all do better at to the praise honor and glory of our father and his son the lord jesus christ well until next week look up <laughs>